Welcome to The Prevention Perspective, a podcast dedicated to sharing information, ideas, and resources about violence prevention work. The topics discussed in this podcast, including healthy relationships, prevention practices, and dating or sexual violence can be difficult, and we urge you to listen with care. Our hosts are not licensed counselors or mental health professionals. If you or someone you care about have experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also find more resources in the description of this podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Prevention Perspective. I'm your host, Tracy DeMarcus, Prevention Program Manager with the WCA. And today's episode is the second part of our two-part series with Jen and Caitlin, two of the amazing clinicians with the WCA who were in the studio talking to us about mental health and prevention. And the conversation was just so great. I had to split it up into two episodes so I didn't have to cut anything. So make sure if you're new to the podcast that you go back and listen to part one. But for those of you who are all caught up, here is part two of our conversation about mental health and violence prevention. We are back on the Prevention Perspective. Um, I'm Tracy here with Caitlin and Jen, um, two members of our clinical team. Um, And we're talking about mental health and the connection to violence prevention work. Um, I want to start out by just saying, too, sometimes there are misperceptions around um, particularly abuse um, being caused by a mental health um, issue that somebody might be having. Can you address that a little bit? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because that is such an important um, just aspect of this to talk about, right? That it's it's so important to talk about mental health and prevention, mm-hmm. and yet we don't want to be by any way implying that people who you know perpetrate any sort of sexual violence that it's caused by mental illness, right? right. Because that can become a narrative. I think we see um, across many different areas, right? Like Mm -hmm. we see that in maybe gun violence, all of these different things where then there's this quick narrative to say like, oh, well, this is caused by mental illness. And then when we get back to the stigma that we were talking about earlier, um, that's kind of only perpetuating the stigma around mental illness, right? And so it's kind of this, Mm -hmm. um, I think, just very delicate subject of that we certainly want to talk about mental health, but we don't want to be by any way saying that, oh, people with mental who have mental illnesses commit um, different forms of sexual violence, right. domestic violence. And if we just took care of mental illness, none of that would happen. Right. Okay. So that's, I. so yeah, I just want to start off by saying like, thank you for bringing that up because I think it is an important part of this conversation. Definitely. Anything you want to add, Caitlin? Yeah, I actually, um, I have a couple of 
points from um, Lundy Bancroft's book, Why Does He Do That? Mm, um, which that's, I think, for anyone listening to this and wanting to learn more just about this issue, that would be a really great um, book to check out further. Um, but a couple of points that Lundy makes are that like an abusive person's emotional problems do not cause their abusiveness. Um, and you, re- you really can't, you know, change an abuser by figuring out what's bothering him or her, um, trying to help them feel better, um, or improving the dynamics of the relationship. Like it's really more about the beliefs, the values and habits of the Mm -hmm. abuser that are the driving force of the abuse than like their feelings or, um, their emotional problems or their mental health status. Um, and I think sometimes, they might um, give reasons for why they're abusive. Like they Mm. might say, oh, it's because I have mental health issues. But in a lot of ways, those are really just excuses for um, the pattern of abuse or control that they're enacting. Gotcha. And we'll put the information for that book in the description of the podcast for anyone who's interested. Um, It is a really great, great book. Um, And I think that's interesting too. It's something I've heard when I was something I heard when I was an advocate, which was prior to my time at the WCA, but a lot of, um, a lot of victims or survivors saying like, well, they only do this because they have depression or anxiety or an anger problem Mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and so what we're saying is that abuse is not caused by a mental illness. It might not be helped by a mental Mm -hmm. illness, right? Um, maybe even believe that they are doing those things because they're mentally ill. They might believe that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I think there is a bigger question around, yeah, like what are the, um, internalized like beliefs or values that that person has that, um, is like making it okay for them to treat another person that way. Yeah. I think that's, what's so key there, right? Is that there are plenty of people who will struggle with mental health issues and never, Um, would resort to physically, emotionally, you know, injuring a partner, a family member, another person. Um, And Mm -hmm. so there's, well, yes, they can certainly be kind of exacerbated by one Mm -hmm. another. It's never the only cause. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the really key difference is that there there are clearly other factors at play there that allow that to happen um, other than a mental health diagnosis. Gotcha. Um, so how can access to adequate mental health care um, help reduce and hopefully ultimately prevent violence? And I think we're talking too about like somebody perpetrating violence, but also somebody who might be victimized by violence. Right. Yeah, I think the and and thinking about people who are are victims of you know, interpersonal violence, access to mental health care is so important um, to just have that really safe space to talk about and maybe even get some education and support on what does a healthy relationship look like? Like, mm-hmm. what what do I deserve? What is, what is my worth as a person? Um, working on things just like, yeah, self-esteem, self-worth, and helping someone identify their their values and mm-hmm. and goals and just all of those things in a in a safe 
supportive mental health care environment, um, I believe can really be an important part of breaking that cycle then of, um, of being in domestic violence relationships or unhealthy relationships and just having that space to maybe examine that a little mm. bit um, is one way that I see that being a part of the prevention work. Mm-hmm. And I would say to just add to that too, like I think so many of the people that we work with who like come to the WCA who are currently in a violent relationship or maybe they recently left a violent relationship like there's such I I don't have the exact stats but I think there's such a high um, history for these individuals Mm -hmm. also of like as they grew up in childhood like their mom was also an abusive relationship and so I think you can really see how like that type of framework in childhood where you know they didn't have the model of parents in healthy relationships and so then when you know they're setting out as teenagers or even later on as adults like they there isn't a framework for like what a healthy relationship looks like and so then they're finding themselves also in an abusive relationship later on too so I think like Jen said I think so much of the work that we do as an agency or even us as clinicians as well is to just really offer that psychoeducation piece of like what is, you know, what are some of those dynamics in a violent or an abusive relationship? And, you know, all of these things are very like normal in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't something um, that's strange or different. Like a lot of other people have experienced similar things in abusive relationships. Like we can kind of see a pattern Mm -hmm. to it and that type of thing. Um, And then on the flip side, like offering education on like, what are the dynamics of a healthy relationship too? So as um, they're healing and moving forward, Um, after leaving a relationship like they can kind of have a model of red flags to look for Mm -hmm. and kind of a new framework for for finding a healthier relationship yeah yeah and I feel like I see that a lot with like the groups that we do um, that are more educational or prevention focused you know inevitably there are young people in our groups that have grown up in homes where domestic violence was happening or um you know, other types of of trauma in their childhood. And when we start talking about, yeah, healthy relationships, recognizing the red flags, like there is oftentimes like a moment where you can see these young people kind of questioning like, well, that was normal in Mm -hmm. my home or in my family. Um, And then, you know, we're trying to give them other, other ways you know, other choices that they can make sort of thing. So it doesn't feel like they're just set in this track of like, well, that was how it was. And so that's how I have to do it in my relationships. Um, And I think that's really important to just let them know, you know, and we never want to go into a group and say like, oh, if you experience this, you know, that person was bad or wrong or, um, you know, because that can be really hard to like, acknowledge or like understand especially as a young person but we do want to let them know that like there are other ways Mm -hmm. um to Mm -hmm. to deal with things to to handle you know challenges in your relationships and um 
and yeah, I think that's really important, a really important piece um, for breaking that cycle, like that generational cycle of violence that we end up seeing too. Yeah, and Tracy, have you all talked about the the ACEs study and assessment on this podcast yet? Oh, we have not. <laughs> I was I just going to mention that quickly as part of this conversation. Sure. You know, so a lot of people might be familiar that that stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. Um, and so as you're both, what you're both kind of sharing there about what we experience in our ch- in our childhoods and how that might then uh, be a factor in either experiencing interpersonal violence um, or potentially engaging in it. Mm-hmm. But um, so that's something that just research over time has shown that the more, you know, trauma basically that we experience in childhood the more likely we are to have a myriad of mental health and physical health mm-hmm. challenges well into adulthood, right? Yeah. And so that's actually something that is part of the intake we do with every counseling client we have here at the WCA is that assessment, which is just 10 questions asking about potentially adverse experiences you've had as a child. And so I think that is part of this conversation too, right? Of how can access to mental health care be preventative in this work? And so things like doing that screening um, across the country in doctor's offices at Mm -hmm. schools and then saying, wow, this person has experienced a myriad of traumatic experiences during their childhood. How can we then get them set up with mental health care to then hopefully break that cycle into their adulthood. Absolutely. I mean, I think the, um, well, first off, I would love to do like a whole episode on um, ACEs. Yeah. <laughs> They're so, so interesting. So fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think too, the, the other piece to that is like the, and I think they have a similar questionnaire of like resilience, right? Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, so Perfect. just because somebody does have a lot of, trauma or have a lot of experiences um, in their childhood doesn't necessarily mean that they will um, experience negative outcomes as an adult. Um, But that's really determined upon the level of resilience that they have and the um, access to a lot of those, those, what I would call protective factors Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and mental health care being one of them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Totally. The piece I always like to really reiterate with the ACEs too is that like, yes, like people can have a high ACE score and like some of the research shows that that can also lead to like later negative health effects Mm -hmm. um, in life. But I think that like you were talking about, like with the protective factors, like I think one of the most key pieces with the protective factors is just for a kiddo to have one healthy, like stable, like emotionally attuned adult in Mm -hmm. their life can really help offset some of those um, potential like negative health effects Mm -hmm. later on. So I think for anyone who's like doing work as like a peer mentor Mm. or um, a teacher or a coach or something, or for us as clinicians, like I think all of us have like this power within our work with kids to be like that one person who's helping um, kind of to offset some of those negative effects that might be happening at home. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. And yeah, that's something too that we try to really bring into the prevention work and in terms of trainings that we do for adults and for, yeah, particularly 
teachers, school counselors, people in youth serving organizations, really like any adult that is a part of a child's life can be that person um, for them and and being aware of um, the impact that that has is really, really key. Mm. Um, I just have one last question that I think is kind of fun and hopefully get gets us to a um, a place where we're really trying to imagine the world that we're trying to create and to trying to bring to reality. Um, so what would you love to see in terms of access to mental health care and supportive services in like an ideal world? <laughs> what does that look like to you? Oh, <laughs> I love this question just to let us like dream big yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> imagine a better world. Um, do you want me to go sure, first? Yeah, or, um, I mean, for me, I think mental health has so many more contributing factors than just access to counseling. Like yes. I think having stable housing, having a livable wage, um, having clean water. Like, I think there's so many factors that contribute to overall health than just thinking like, oh, can I, you know, get to can a I counselor go to a and afford right. it? Yeah. Right. Sit with one person once a week. Yeah. Totally. Which so, has its place. Totally. It's just great. But, sure. <laughs> it has its value without a doubt. But I, I think currently with how low the minimum wage is at this mm. point, like people are struggling so much and so stressed out and like they cannot, you know, pay their rent. And so I think to have more affordable housing for people to have a better wage, I think would go such a long way in alleviating some of that stress and burden of people who are just burning the candle at all ends, working mm. three minimum wage jobs and still at the end of the day, struggling with paying rent. So I think just really attending to basic needs and that type mm. of thing would really go a long way for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Like how is somebody supposed to prioritize? Like, do I pay my rent or do I pay for one therapy session? Mm-hmm. Right. If they don't have um, health insurance or if their health insurance doesn't cover that. Right. Like, yeah, that's, that's huge. Yeah. 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 I would echo everything Caitlin just said. Absolutely. Um, I'd also say like, and thinking of an ideal world, just more and more of the frameworks of where like all types of health and wellness are incorporated together kind of. So mm-hmm. like thinking of places where they really move to the model of that in every school, there's a like kind of community clinic on site. Mm-hmm. Um, the high school that I worked at in, in Oregon was moving to this model where they're at this at the school where we know, right, where all, you know, thousands of kids are going every day. There's a free, um, you know, medical and mental health and dental and vision, you know, mm-hmm. provider all within the same on the same grounds. Right. And so just moving to any of these models where it's like all kind of easier to access. Yeah. Just physically and financially. And I think that also helps to break that stigma, right? Where it's like, I go to school, I can see a healthcare worker, I can talk to a counselor, I can get my teeth and my eyes checked. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of including that all in more of a package deal of what we expect um, is definitely the momentum that I think would be existing in an ideal world also yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and just the ease of access for that too i mean that would that would 
break down so many barriers that so many Mm -hmm. people have to accessing care, whether that's from the WCA or from a doctor or a dentist or something like that, like meeting people where they are. Um, yeah, we've been seeing, uh, trend i guess in the um treasure valley at least around like community school models Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is a very similar thing to what you're saying it's like co-locating all of those services with um the school because that's the most likely place that a lot of people are going to be um children and their families and so Mm -hmm. um yeah really grateful for for the boise school district and and others in this area to be to be really focusing on that and putting a lot of resources into that. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, still like so much, um, (laughs) so much that could be done. And, um, and I hope that, uh, I hope that we're, we're working towards that. And um, I hope that one day that'll be a reality for us. So, um, so grateful to have you guys on the podcast today. Is there anything else you want to add or plug or (laughs) anything like that? Um, I guess the only other thing I was thinking was like in talking about like barriers to like mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. So often costs can be the piece. So just a reminder that like all counseling services here offered free to clients. Um, Our support groups are free. Um, So like we want to at least like prevent that barrier from being a piece for people you know, receiving services from us. So just Absolutely. one last plug for yeah. all the free resources That's we offer here. a great, uh, great mention there, Caitlin. And I'll, again, put that in the podcast description, um, the link to our website and um, our hotline numbers, which is the best place to get on, um, on your way to getting that service. So yeah, well, I'm so grateful that you guys are on the podcast today. Uh, and really looking forward to hopefully having you on again to talk about more more stuff. Thank you, Tracy. And thank you for the amazing work you and your team and the prevention world do. It's so important to be doing in collaboration with the more you know direct service we're doing. And then the whole prevention side, it's like they both are so important. And so thank mm-hmm. you for, for having us. All right. Yeah. I appreciate thank that. Thank you. Um, Well, we hope you will come back and listen to our next episode of Prevention Perspective. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Prevention Perspective. Again, if you or someone you know has experienced domestic, dating, or sexual violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Or you can call the WCA's 24-hour hotline at 208-343-7025. Don't forget to follow us on social media at WCA underscore Boise and WCA Youth Reps. If you have any suggestions for topics you would like us to cover or get more information about anything you heard on today's episode, contact us through the email provided in the description of the podcast. to do a better job.